Welcome, everybody, to a Monday night edition of the Crash the Pond podcast. And I am joined. This is Jake doing this intro. Not normal. It's very weird for me to do this. I'm used to Felix doing it. But I'm actually joined this time by CJ. CJ's with me. Felix is traveling. Um, and so CJ is coming in to help out on this this show right here. And we're going to have a fun – for anyone that's listened to this feed for a long time, back when it was the Anaheim Calling podcast – we used to call us an uh, inmates us inmate runs the asylum podcast, right? Because we didn't have Felix to really guide the ship. Felix, I feel like over time, Felix has given more into the chaos of everything. He gives he in has. more now than he used to. When we used to do yeah. post game episodes, he used to be very rigid with his structure and everything, and it would really rely upon him to keep us going. Because as everyone knows, I go off on tangents beyond all belief. I see a shiny object and I just jump into it and I go with it. And CJ uh, really encourages me to do that. So when it's me and him, we kind of go on all different paths. But this episode, there's actually a lot to talk about. As you all know, the expansion draft uh, lists were all released yesterday morning. And so we actually have a lot to jump into. So let's kind of jump right in. Actually, let's start here. This actually is prior to the list being uh Released on Friday after, or Friday, sorry, not Friday, Saturday. Saturday, there was a trade freeze at noon uh, Pacific, and the, the protection lists were required at 2. At around 11 a.m. Pacific time, uh, the Ducks announced that, out. well, it was released by his agent, and then uh, um, the Ducks also confirmed it, that Alexander Volkov was given a one-year extension, uh, 925K. Um, what were your first thoughts on this? Because I got some thoughts on it, but I'm curious to hear yours first, CJ. I mean, I'm gonna save it because we're we're, we're going to talk about it okay. uh, in a little bit here. No, I, I'm I'm. Well, what was your I'm initial? Rea- what was your initial reaction? Well, let's go with that. My initial reaction was what the hell. Um, okay. And, and I think you all know what I'm referring to on that. Um, you know, and, and and that was my first reaction. Just kind of thinking like, what is happening? Um, but then after studying it for a little bit, I kind of came down and I was like, okay, you know what? The Ducks aren't going to lose anybody super impactful. Anybody who's really going to make a difference to the mm-hmm. the strength of this club or specifically the mm-hmm. future. Um, but that's really not the point of why we're not very happy. It's It's the protection list really gave us a a very clear insight into how the organization thinks and specifically how Bob Murray evaluates players and kind of how his strategic thinking goes. And so that's something that we're going to break down here. And I think it was very, very telling. Sorry. I just meant the Volkov signing, but you're all good. That is how you felt about the protection list. And so we'll get into that in a second. The the protection list as well. And and, but the Volkov signing as well for the same thing, like he's fine, but yeah, here, here's basically my my was my initial reaction. By the way, thank you so much to that guy Bobski resub for eight months. He says here for Daddy Jake. I'm here for you, Bob. Um, but so my initial reaction was it was funny. There there were kind of a lot of varying opinions that I, that I saw all throughout, and I've seen this with Volkov a lot, and it's very surprising to me. There's a lot of people that kind of think that he's a good piece to have for the future. I'm of the opinion he's a solid enough fourth liner. He's fine if you're on your team, but he's kind of a replacement level player. You can find him. He's a dime a dozen type of guy. But uh, if they want to resign him to a one-year deal, 925K, I'm not really going to fret too much about it. 
my initial read, some people saw this as he was going to be protected because they signed him to the steal. To me, it actually was the exact opposite of that. Um, for those that kind of know the minutiae of the expansion draft, uh, you have to expose two forwards that have played in either 27 games in the prior season or 54 games in the prior two seasons. It was, I think, 40-70 for Vegas, and they've modified it because the last two seasons weren't full seasons for the Seattle draft. And so... Uh, in order and uh, uh, RFA has to be signed. A guy can't be a, a restricted free agent. He has to be signed. So Volkov have, getting the deal done right under the wire meant that he was eligible to fill one of those roles. And so to me, when I saw this instantly, I thought, okay, he's going to fill one of those roles. The puzzling thing to me was the fact that the Ducks had a bunch of guys that could fill it. Nicolas Delorier fills that role. Derek Grant fills that role. Adam Henrique fills that role. Sonny Milano fills that role. Uh, Jacob Silverberg fills that role. Lots of these guys fill that role. And so I didn't necessarily understand why you would go out of your way to get this deal under, done under the, the wire necessarily when you already had plenty of guys to fill those two spots. And so maybe my gut feel is it could be two things. Someone actually, I uh, let me really quickly, I'll find it in a sec as we're going through, but someone pointed out on Twitter to me, one of the things could be, this is actually something that I had forgotten about, but Seattle has to pick 20 actual guys under contract. So maybe it's a situation where Seattle wanted to take him, but they he would have had to have been under contract already. And so that may be kind of a favor to him. It could be purely coincidental that this happened, that basically both guys wanted, both uh, parties wanted to get a deal done and that's how it worked out. But to me, the most likely scenario is the Ducks were kind of looking for a trade potentially and trying to get a trade uh, trade completed prior to the deadline. And it uh, in case that happened, they were potentially going to maybe going to lose a guy or two from their 27, uh, 27, 54 spot. And they want to assign Volkov just in case so that they would have a guy to fill that role. And it was a uh, Dan Todd. And so, yeah, Volkov is part of the deal. Uh, but Seattle makes a uh, needs him under contract because they have to take 20 contracts. I think that that's maybe a little bit far fetched. I think it's hard if you're trying to do Seattle a favor. It seems a little odd to me that that would happen. But to me, the most likely would be maybe they were looking at a deal and then they signed Volkov just in case. I don't know if that kind of makes sense to you. Yeah, I mean, here's my biggest thing. I think Volkov is a fine player. Um, and like you said, he's a dime a dozen. You know, he can yeah. be replaced. And and But the thing is, is that Volkov is the latest in a well but that's my thing is that he's the latest in a slew of young-ish nhl players um like 23 24 25 year old nhl players uh forwards that bob murray has traded for signed for acquired in some manner um to try and increase scoring and Look at basically how that's worked out for this oh, entire time. Okay. He basically yeah, signed all these types of guys like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, freaking Danton Heinen was that. Um, Sonny Milano was that. Yeah. Pontus Aberg. Um, all, you know, all, all these yeah. players that kind of go back. And so, yeah, it could be that they wanted to do that. But then you also have the expansion draft exposure thing. And it's just, you're right. To me, they're just, the reasoning for the signing is not clear at this point. No, it could no. be clear once the expansion draft ends up um, happening. We will no. see. But at the moment, it, it's just a little bit of a head-scratcher. Purely speculation. But I, I, I think it, it's part of the conversation when it comes to the expansion draft, specifically mm-hmm. with those 2754 slots. So, uh, and uh, yeah. And so, I mean... Thing with Volkov, and yes, it is a shuffling deck tier trade. Felix and I talked about this. It's on a very marginal scale, though. They did win. It's a mm-hmm. dumb trade. Like overall, it, it 
he's not going to move the needle in my opinion, but let's just get right into it. So, uh, the protection list, they came out on Sunday and I did not wake up until about 9am and you and Felix had already been texting a bunch about this. And I was, uh, awoken to a very, a very fun list, a very fun list. So let's just run through the protection list. And this is per the, the ducks website. So first listed in this, I well, it's technically the NHL site, but Nicola Delorier. So the ducks went seven, three, one, Nicola Delorier, Max Jones, Isaac Lundestrom, Ricardo Raquel, Jacob Silverberg, Sam Steele, Troy Terry as your seven forwards, Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson as your three defensemen and John Gibson as your only, as the one goalie that was taken. So let's start here. Let's just start with Nicola Delorier. Because I, I think you and I will both agree that, okay, if you're going to go 7-3-1, they got five of the seven correct. Yeah. And, and, and so if you're going to do that route, Sam Steele, Troy Terry, uh, uh, Ricard Raquel, Isaac Lundestrom, Max Jones, all were the correct pick. Maybe they should have gone eight skaters and left one of those exposed. But if you're going to go 7-3-1, that's the right route to go. Yep. Delorier. Okay. So... Let's go here first. There's an argument that's being made on Twitter right now that supposedly Jeff Merrick's reporting that he thinks that the Ducks could get a first round pick for Delorier in a trade. And that would be the reason why the Ducks would have protected him. I'm a little bit, I don't know if that's true. A first round pick seems like a lot to give for Nick Delorier. And here's the thing. Bob Murray can do that. that. Seems like a lot. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It is. It is a lot. By the way, shout out to Jess, Science Cat. Congratulations, Jess, by the way. Uh, very exciting for her. I won't say what it yes, is, I guess. Congratulations, of, Jess. But saying congrats to her. She gifted out five, uh, five subs. Um, but yes, it is a lot to give up for, for Nick Delorier. But do you think that it's warranted if that is supposedly what's out there? Do you think this is warranted then? To me, it's warranted if he has either a deal in place or is working on one and all signs are pointing to it. If it's if it was, you know, for like a seventh round pick or something like that, then maybe not. But if honestly, if it's for a mid round pick or more, because remember, the Ducks traded for uh, traded a fourth fourth for him. Right. If it's Mm -hmm. a fourth or better for Delorier, honestly, yeah. I would say okay. it was. And, and, and the only reason I say that, too, is because look at who else the Ducks had choices to protect. They didn't exactly have the gold standard. They no. didn't have, um, you know, these great, you know, forwards uh, or even defensemen, if you were going to go the skater route, to protect, really. Like, well, it, it wasn't going to matter anyway. And so the fact that if you were going to use a protection slot and you didn't really have that many better options, yeah, using a protection slot on Nick Delorier in a vacuum is horrible. But if there is a trade lineup for a decent asset, then given what else is out there, yeah, absolutely. So... I'm going to jump in and somewhat disagree with you. I think the only way that I would be okay with this is if it's like a first or maybe even a second round pick. Cause if that happens, that's a really high, highly touted asset. That's something that's really going to help you. Um, and so that would be the only sp- reason why I would be okay with that. But two things that I really want to point out here when, when I say that is first off, if the ducks truly did just have an extra protection slot, and if it's not this whole trade situation that could be happening, and if it's just they had an extra one and Bob Murray likes Delore, he thinks he's a good locker room guy, wants to protect him. There's a real, the issue that I have there, and I think it's a very minor issue, but it's still an issue, is 
why not go out and take advantage? And Jonathan, uh, our good friend Johnny uh, over in the UK pointed this out to me in a text message this morning. Why not go out and take advantage of the depressed trade value of a lot of guys like a Jared McCann and you have an extra protection slot. Teams are willing to give up guys on the cheap. Victor Arvidsson went for real cheap as a result of that. Jared McCann, who's 24, is a decent third-line center, second-line center. He went for Philip Halinder and a seventh-round pick. And Halinder's not that great of a prospect. He's an okay guy. And and so you could have had him for, like, Bo Guru in a seventh. And you could have had a known quantity in the NHL at 24 years old. And so to fit, instead of filling it with a, just a random guy, make a trade. Do something to be able to uh, to essentially take advantage of the depressed trade value. Be creative. Be smart. Be all this different type of stuff. And, and so that's one thing. The other thing is if it's, if it's like a mid-round pick, if it's a third, fourth, fifth-round pick, is it worth it to lose Hayden Fleury for that third or fourth or fifth-round pick? Because that's essentially what the trade-off, that's what the trade-off yeah. is. You, if, you, you, if you're but, talking flurry, yeah, no, it's be, not worth it. Because you could have instead done, uh, and I highly doubt, honestly, that Seattle would have taken Nick Delorier. I, I really, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe they value, maybe they they view him and he can, they can flip him. But here's the thing: if you do expose him, and let's just say the Ducks still kept it this way, let's say the price was a first round pick, even second round pick, something like that. First round pick, maybe you you do this to keep him out. I'll stay on that line. Second round pick, though. If you leave them exposed, and if that's the price, and if Seattle is in the market of grabbing guys and flipping them, then they grab Delorier, and that's the one player they take from you, and you get to keep Flurry. Like there, there's so many ways that you can go with it, and is it such a bad deal if you're gonna lose a Nick Delorier and he gets flipped, and you get to keep a guy like a Hayden Flurry as a result of that? And I don't even think Hayden Flurry is that great. I think he's a fourth defenseman, but I would rather keep him than Delorier. And, and I mean, it, it's just, it, it's very frustrating because it feels as if it's short-sighted. It feels like it's missing the boat and it feels like it's yet again. I mean, this is on a much lower level. And I think that that's a very important point to make because I did get some pushback on Twitter. And I think it's rightfully so that, that it seemed a bit overreactionary from me or exaggerating from me or exaggerating from a lot of Ducks fans about this. And I get that because in the grand scheme of things, this is not a huge deal. At the end of the day, they're going to lose a Hayden Flurry probably, and more likely than not, Hayden Flurry is going to be a decent defenseman. But he's not going to be this game-breaking talent. He's not going to be this game-changing talent. He's slightly above replacement level. So at the end of the day, the like you said, at the start of all this, the Ducks aren't losing anything that's really going to hurt them long term. But it gives you an insight to how the organization is viewing things and how they're the inner workings of the organization. I think that's the concern, right? So what what I will say is that I'm I'm gonna agree with you. First or second round pick, if if Murray does have a trade lined up for that, and however that goes, which again I'm with you, I find that hard to believe that he'd mm-hmm. actually be able to pull off a first or second rounder for for Nick Delorier because even when the Ducks paid a fourth for him, that was considered an overpayment. Um, as much as we like to bag on a lot of NHL GMs for size, grit, and and and, and whatever, like. Nick Delorier is a fourth liner. Let's be real here. Um, but that being said, you're you're absolutely right in the fact that it, it, it essentially just makes it so that it shows that I think that Murray doesn't understand or he's very poor at evaluating the trade market. You mentioned why not you know take advantage of depressed trade values, which would have been great. But to me, that shows that he doesn't really understand the market, doesn't understand the valuation of the market. And we've seen evidence of this 
for several years now. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Josh Manson hasn't been traded, right? He's completely overvalued Josh Manson. He's, you know, why he didn't trade Silverberg for assets, why there's been so many rumors of certain guys getting shopped and Murray potentially wanting these astronomical prices that weren't going to get it or not getting what he wants out of maybe a, a prospect or whatever remember the ducks were supposedly in on max patch from the canadians mm-hmm. several years ago and the rumor was that he wouldn't give up sam Steele in order for that to happen and so in hindsight you know you th- that's a whole nother conversation but i think again it illustrates in this delorier um protection situation barring a potential first round steal here is that look i, I don't really think he truly comprehends value in the market in terms of who's well, available yeah. and and who is being traded and exchanged. Yeah. And, and so one thing I want to mention, TDs88 brings up in our Twitch chat that we traded Hawk and Pond a sixth for Flurry. So it's not really that much loss. And while sure, yes, obviously, like if you look at it from that perspective, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But at the end of the day, it, it's all about evaluation of your roster and understanding of your roster. And I think that's where it's key what you're saying here, which is that at the end of the day, this isn't that big of a loss. It, it's not It's not this great. It's not the, well, we'll get into that, but it's probably not going to be a Shea Theodore 2.0 situation for the Ducks. Um, yes. And so in that scheme, I think a lot of people should take a step back and understand, okay, this isn't that big of a deal. Take a step back, relax a little bit. And I've tried to kind of really put that out there that this isn't a catastrophic loss. This isn't a massive mistake by the Ducks organization. But I think it is important to also say this is suboptimal. And and so I think now moving on the conversation from Deloria, because I think we've talked about that enough and that they could have protected a Sonny Milano over him. And now Milano, all the people that they could have protected over him would have had issues also. So I think that if you have a free protection slot, you don't go out and trade for a guy, you have trade value potentially in Deloria. Okay, fine. I I would have rather protected a guy like a Milano that has some potential. I'm not the biggest Volkov fan, but even a Volkov, uh, a Heinen, all, all these different guys. If you're going 731 and you have that extra slot, you're going to use it. Okay, fine. If you want to use it on Deloria, that's fine. There's obviously frustrations, things like that. But I, I think there is some defense that you can have there. I actually have a little bit of a bigger issue in some ways with Silverberg being protected yeah, than Deloria. And the reason I say that is not necessarily about Jacob Silverberg, the player, but it has to do with an understanding of value, like you said. And and I think that what you said is a perfect kind of transition to this in the sense of this is a guy that's 30 years old that has, what, three years left on his deal? Is that right? Let me me double check that. But his deal is essentially the same exact... It's the same exact deal as the Adam Henrique deal, basically. There's the same amount of years left. Three years left, 5.25 mil. Adam Henrique, for whatever reason, is ostracized for being a good player. And just and he makes, uh, what, like 500K more than, than Jacob Silverberg. And Silverberg, like, was fine, def- was really good defensively, but struggled offensively this past year and is having hip surgery. And that is very concerning long-term. And for the Ducks to actually protect a guy like that because of character or things like that is under is misunderstanding if you're gonna expose an adam and reek to me adam and reek and Jap- jacob silverberg are the exact same situation same exact contract one year apart in age but i would actually argue henrique's the better player right now henrique's the more oh, useful player for for teams and i would actually argue with silverberg having hip surgery i think henrique's game is going to age better because he's always been able to shoot more so the fact that it's just a misunderstanding and misevaluation of your talent. If you're going to protect one now, granted, I'm not saying they should do this because I think getting rid of the contracts would be a good idea, 
But the more useful player to protect long-term is Adam Henrique, not Jacob Silverberg. And that might be yeah. controversial, people, with the waiver situation and everything like that. But just from a pure, actual, on-ice impact perspective, Adam Henrique's the better player. He is. Now, you also have to keep in mind here that Bob Murray preaches he is kind of the the quintessential general manager who preaches the two-way game right he he's not the type of person who loves the all offense no defensive players we've seen that for years now he wants guys who play a two-way game and assuming Silverberg is healthy he is the better two-way player Adam Henrique is fine defensively he's not bad but he's not yeah. particularly great either he's definitely an offensive uh type of forward definitely and definitely. Silverberg has always been strong defensively mm-hmm. and just like he's been fine offensively for the most part um but that being said you know bob murray has these guys that he hangs on to that he loves and for some reason he can't seem to let go of josh manson perfect example jack silverberg another perfect example because they play a good responsibly defensive old school kind of two-way game right and th- there's a certain point, and I love how you've brought this up in the past, Jake, of like, you know, oh, the players who are all defense but no offense get praised, but all they have the, but the players who are all offense, no defense get, you know, crapped on. It's like, it's the same thing. It's just a complete opposite. Why is that the case? And I feel like we've seen that a little bit here with Jacob Silverberg. And so I think the key here, though, if Silf was completely healthy, if he was completely healthy, then I think this is more of a defensible move. The hip surgery to me is the key differentiator here and what makes this so worrying and what makes this the protection list very, very questionable is because, and Ducks fans should know this better than a lot of other teams, of what does hip surgery mean for your future as a player? We saw this with Kessler for years, right? We know this very well. And hip surgery is very, very, very difficult to come back from at 100%, especially the type of uh, um, surgery that Selfenberg had. So knowing that and still having Bob Murray protect him over Adam Henrique is, I don't have an explanation for it other than the fact that he likes his two-way game and he thinks that, oh, Selfenberg's fine because he plays a good defensive game. And I'm just, I'm not so sure about that. Yep. And now actually up on the screen for everyone out there, and I'll, I'll take it off in a quick second, but is the... JFresh, uh, Patreon, very, very good tool. Go check it out. Go subscribe to him. One of the most useful tools around in hockey Twitter. Uh, he has his wins above replacement versus timeline, and you can compare two different players. And so you can see on the screen, the red line is Adam Henrique. The blue line is Jacob Silverberg. Uh, 1920, 1819, Silverberg was better than Henrique. And then there was a big fall off as his hip flexor uh, really kind of fell off, and he had to have surgery. And... 2020, uh, this past season, Henrique was significantly better. Henrique's kind of always been the same, and a lot of that has to do with his elevated shooting percentage. And so I, I think that that really keeps Henrique kind of in that higher portion. So I- I'm not necessarily saying that the Ducks should have protected Adam Henrique. That- that's not necessarily what I'm lobbying for here. What I am saying is that if you're going to protect one of those two, I find it very puzzling that... I I mean, I know why, why Bob Murray did it. Bob Murray protected Jack Silver because... He's gone out of his way to say he's part of the solution, not part of the problem. Like he said that multiple times about Silverberg when re-signing him, made it a priority to re-sign him instead of move him, didn't want to get rid of the asset, didn't want to trade him, all these different type of stuff. And, and, And so I think that's a really big part of this is that the way Bob Murray views the player and the perception of the player and all that different type of stuff. But 
I, I think that if you're going to protect one of them, you have to protect Henrique. And now having said that, I think you do leave Henrique exposed because you need to be able to, um, you want to try to have Seattle take that contract. And they very well might. And so real quick before we, we do a quick little break, uh, I do want to mention before we kind of get into who Seattle might take and what we think could happen there. I do want to mention what you or, you or I would have done if we were general managers. What would you have done differently than Bob Murray here? How would you have um, constructed your protection list? Or you want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. <laughs> so what I would have done is I if I would have gone 731 here, I probably I probably would have protected like Milano and uh who else would i have protected uh i would have protected milano and i guess i don't know another random forward volkov i guess don't really care that much but sure and this is if i was going 731 and then i would have uh exposed cam fowler and we will talk more about this tomorrow we're doing a patreon episode tomorrow we have a lot of content coming your way just so everyone knows tomorrow we're doing a patreon episode doing a full expansion draft mock Wednesday is a Patreon watch along for the expansion draft. Friday is a Twitch watch along for the NHL draft. But I would have exposed Cam Fowler because like Mark Bergevin did with Carey Price, he understood that that contract is very difficult to eat from a Seattle perspective for an aging goalie that has had some issues in the past with injuries. Fowler hasn't necessarily had those same injury issues, but for Bergevin, exposing Carey Price was a win-win because... Yes, it would suck to lose him, no doubt. And the only thing that's I kind of am iffy on it, same thing with the Ducks, honestly, is you're doing it to protect Jake Allen. You're not doing it to protect a younger guy. You're doing it to protect Jake Allen. And the same thing with the Ducks, you do this protect Hayden Flurry or Josh Mahura, your pick of those two. Um, but it's a win-win for, for, uh, for Montreal because if Seattle does take it, they now have $10.5 million that has been freed up in, in uh, cap space and cap space, as we've talked about, is an asset that so even though, yes, you are losing carry price for nothing, you actually aren't losing him for nothing. You're gaining that cap space long term in a short term deal. One year deal. Sure. You can say you lost him for nothing. You lost lost him for six mil of a season that can be harder to eat. But if you're losing 10 mil over five years, that's gaining a significant asset for you long-term and cap flexibility. And that's one thing people don't talk about when they talk about losing someone for nothing. You're not losing him for nothing. You're losing him for cap flexibility. And if they don't do it, then you got to protect the two guys you wanted. And it's the same thing with the Ducks. If you were to expose Cam Fowler, either you gain six and a half mil for five seasons, which is significant as the Ducks, if they're not going to trade Hampus Lindholm, they're going to need to re-sign him. They're going to, and he's going to want at and least he's going to get a raise. He's going to get he's a gonna, nice raise. He's going to want more than Cam Fowler. He starts at the Cam Fowler deal and goes up from there. That's and and so, mm-hmm. and so you are worst case, you free up cap space. Best case, you gain a free extra protection slot because they don't want to take Cam Fowler. Like it's a win-win either way. So I would have done that if I did seven, three, one in the protected flurry or Mahura. Probably I honestly, cause like I said, I could take or leave those extra couple slots. I probably would have gone four, four. And I probably would have exposed either Max Jones or Sam Steele. I could take or leave either of them. And I would have probably honestly protected both Flurry and Mahura. It's not as if I'm a huge Mahura fan or think that he's this this big thing, but he's a good asset that you can protect then and you leave Fowler exposed and it's that win-win that I talked about. It's not necessarily, honestly, it's not really gaining the extra asset at that point because I'm not 
Flurry and Mahura, they're they're good players. I would want to keep them. But it's also seeing if maybe the Seattle would take that contract off your books because uh, at the end of the day, I don't think Cam Fowler really, because this would be the crux of it. Do you think Cam Fowler has a lot of trade value right now? With, with the under- his contract. With, the, with his contract and with the understanding that he has a four-team yes list. So he can only be traded to one of those four teams that he, he has decides like on. He has no value. It's, it's effectively an NMC because he exactly. can only approve four trades. He, if he doesn't want to move, he can just pick four teams that look won't at, get a look deal. At, yeah. Look at Taylor Hall. Yeah. Look at Taylor Hall. And, and that is why he did not get a lot was because of his full NMC. And mm-hmm. Cam Fowler basically has that. So, and it's with all of the term on it, it makes it really tough. So basically that that's kind of where I'm at and why I would expose Fowler. And everyone here should know, I have a Fowler jersey. I'm one of the bigger Fowler defenders. I'm someone who thinks his game is actually good. I think he's elevated. I think he's been the best Ducks defenseman the last two seasons. But it's still trying to get that out. So that that's kind of what I would do. What would you do? I mean, I, first off, I completely agree with you. I would have exposed Fowler as well for the exact same reasons as you. And again, I'm in the same boat as you. Cam Fowler is actually arguably the player that got me to watching the Ducks. I started really watching hockey in the Ducks around 2010, Cam Fowler's rookie season when he broke out, and he was one of my favorite players to start out. So this is coming from a big Cam Fowler fan and somebody who believes he's played some of his best hockey the last couple of years and has, you know, injury things aside has been worth his deal um that being said you're absolutely right exposing him you know number one it's unlikely that seattle takes him in that situation but and then you can use that protection slot i personally if i was going to go the 731 route i would have used that protection slot probably on mahura um i think flurry is completely defensible i'm still a mahura fan i'm a little bit lower on him than I was before he hit just because he, um, especially this season, you know, his first couple games were awesome and then he wasn't particularly good for the rest of his time there. So I'm not entirely sure what his ceiling is anymore as a defenseman. But that being said, um, he's still younger than Hayden Flurry. Um, Hayden Flurry, I think, has played long enough at this point to where he's a known commodity. And if he does get better, it's going to be marginal at this point. Whereas Mahura, I still think, has some limited upside, um, potentially more. And if you're a, a, a team like the Ducks, right, who theoretically should be in a rebuilding process and should be trying to get younger, save cap space, do all this stuff, then you go with Mahura in that choice if you had to choose between Flurry and Mahura. Um, so yeah, so I would go with Mahura. I think Flurry is a completely defensible choice, though. It's not going to be that big of a difference. Um, as far as forwards, same uh, exact thing as you. I would have gone Milano. Um, I'm still a Milano fan, and I just I really do not think he's been given a fair shake. Um, I know, again, he had the injury issues um, earlier this season, but even when he has, like, he's been scratched and he's in the limited times that he's been on the ice, he's generally more often than not put up very good numbers. He shoots a lot. He's got creativity. He's exactly the type of player the Ducks need. And even if he doesn't turn into a 30 goal guy or anything like that, he at least plays the style of game that you want out of Mm -hmm. a modern NHL player, especially for someone who is younger than him. And if you are going to pick use a protection slot on guys like that to, you know, formulate your team for the next year or two, he's a guy you definitely want to do that for. 
Um, yep. So I, I, I pretty much agree with you. My, but my focus points, I think, are going to be on leaving Fowler yeah. exposed, protecting Mahura, and then uh, protecting Milano. But again, I do want to reemphasize that none of this really makes huge differences one yeah. way or the and other. I was going to like, add that, yeah. Like, like we need to like keep hammering that point home that like look at the end of the day this isn't going to matter a ton no. but the big problem that we have is again this shows how the organization evaluates talent how its decision making the silver the silverberg works. protection the most honestly to me yes i agree and, and so yeah no you're you're spot on and that was ex- i was actually going to just kind of echo what you said there which is that even though you and i have our optimal list here they are i will fully admit the fowler thing more out there it takes guts it takes creativity i would love to see the ducks have a general manager that would do that that's not bob murray i understand that when i put together my expansion draft article i didn't expect him to do this when i had my expected list so when when i kind of i i didn't expect him to do that and i will say this in the grand scheme of things the players that are exposed between kind of yours and my optimal list versus what the Ducks actually did isn't much different. And yeah. and so I, I think that that's an important kind of piece to make or uh, point to make here. So before we move on and kind of discuss uh, who we think that Seattle is going to take in the expansion draft, let's have a little bit of a word from our sponsor. So this podcast is brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef is one of the uh, is a meal prep service. They send you all of the ingredients. They let you choose from a wide array of easy to follow recipes, perfect for keto, paleo, plant powered diets, uh, or even just if you want to eat in a more balanced way. Green Chef's expert uh, Green Chef's expert chefs design flavorful recipes to go way beyond ordinary for a diverse array of meal plans and plenty of options to choose from each week. Make uh, they make leading a healthier lifestyle easier than ever with the satisfying home cooked uh, dinners with options to work around your lifestyle, not the other way around. Everything is handpicked, featuring organic veggies and high-quality proteins delivered to your door, pre-measured, and mostly prepped in insulated packaging. Green Chef is the most sustainable meal kit, meal kit offsetting 100% of its direct car- carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box, so you can feel great about what you eat uh, and how it gets to your table. Um, and so Green Chef has been kind enough to send us some meals, and to show you, I mean, here's the thing, CJ. I'm kind of, I'll eat whatever. I'm good with whatever. If my wife, if Monica likes something, now she'll say I'm a picky one and sure I am. So if I like it, that's definitely a good thing. But if she goes ahead, she saves the recipe. So not only do we like it when we make it, we can then find the ingredients and remake it ourselves if we want to at that point in time. They send you these fantastic cards, which I'm going to show on the screen right now, that my wife has put in this binder and so we can go back and make it and so some of the ones that we loved were the roasted sausages and creamy mash uh there's the memphis style can i just say this binder that monica put together is Mm -hmm. the most on-brand monica i've ever seen 100 in my life like this is this is for those of you who don't know monica this is a perfect encapsulation of she has realized that she is exactly like monica from friends so for anyone out there wondering yes that is exactly what it is so memphis style beef beef meat meatballs Cuban chicken with chimichurri. They're all absolutely delicious. I like 10 out of 10 would recommend. This is so good. It's great to eat. It's good for you as someone who, I mean, 
I've really focused on health over the last little bit, focused on working out, focused on eating clean. This has been absolutely fantastic for that. They give you everything. They make it easy to, to track everything. They give you the calories of it all. And, and it's just, and you get meats, you get carbs, you get veggies, you get everything that you want in a meal. So, uh, so you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP 100 and use the code CTP 100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. I need to update our screen, but you can go to CTP.com slash CTP 100 and use code CTP 100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. And so Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Thank you so much, Green Chef. And I will go ahead and fix that on the screen for anyone watching because I need to update that. So while I do that, CJ, uh, so let's jump into kind of who we think the Ducks are going to uh, lose in the expansion draft. So let's first off and just go with this. There can still be side deals being made. And we'll get into that in a sec because there were some rumors today about that. But who do you think, assuming no side deals, Ron Francis is going to take? Put yourself in the shoes of Ron Fr- Francis. You're now running the Seattle Kraken. You are a former NHLer that I think has won a Stanley Cup. How does it feel? It feels fantastic knowing that I have job security for life, knowing that even if I make the worst decision on the face of the planet, I will always have a job in the NHL. Thanks, nepotism. Um, realistically, I... So I've been, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, I have been kind of beating the Adam Henrique to Seattle drum. And obviously that's a very realistic possibility, but I know there's certain people, and I think you're one of them, Jake, who believes that Henrique more than likely only goes to Seattle if there's a side deal in place. Yeah, And that is a very valid point. However, I'm going to counter with this. I think that to me, they're going to pick either Hayden Fleury or Adam Henrique. It's like a, in my view, it's like a 95% chance that one of those two is going to be taken. That being said, it kind of depends on what Seattle's philosophy is going into this expansion draft. Are they trying to hit the cat floor and just kind of stay at the cat floor? Did they see what Vegas did and combined with their analytical prowess, are they going to be like, you know what, we have permission to add on some salary here. Let's go ahead and, you know, make the best team possible kind of regardless of cost, as long as we're not like up against the salary cap. If they decide to go the route where they want to be competitive right out of the gate, they want to build the best um, kind of roster possible um, given the contracts of the players available, um, I could actually see them taking Adam Henrique without a side deal, just straight up taking yeah. him. Which I, I could, I could, I could see it. I could definitely see it. And that would be a win for the Ducks because, again, Adam Henrique, again, he's you know arguably the best offensive weapon on this team. Trevor Zegers pending, um, but you know in terms of known commodities, Adam Henrique is the best offensive player on this team, and. He is going to be a guy that has the tremendous leadership qualities. He captained Team Canada in the World Championships just a couple months ago. Um, and all uh, all signs are that the players really looked up to him, that it went really well, that Team Canada leadership was incredibly impressed with Adam Henrique's leadership. I don't think anybody here ever questions Adam Henrique's leadership, and we've seen that for years, and that's one of the things he's been known for, even going back to his New Jersey Devil days. Um, so he, he could definitely be the first captain in Seattle Kraken history. So that if they take that route, 
then Adam Henry being selected is a very, very realistic possibility. However, if they are going to go the more shrewd route, if they are going to be like, look, we want to have cap space, which may happen because um, Ron Francis just recently gave an interview and he said one of the most valuable things in this market right now is cap space. He is on mm-hmm. record saying that. Um, you know, So if that's the case and they really want to save money and still kind of maximize value, um, then at that point, you're probably going to be looking at a Hayden Flurry selection barring, again, a side deal. Yeah, so... I agree somewhat. So he, here's where I'm at with it. I think Flurry. I think Flurry is most likely the route that they go without a side deal. I mean, there's too many too many connections there. Ron Francis actually was the GM of the Hurricanes when they drafted him, so he's developed. He's drafted, developed. Obviously, liked what he saw in him. I, granted, there could be something that basically causes the or that has caused Ron Francis to not like him as much. But I would assume that if he's available, young defenseman, 25 years old. Cheap deal, going to be under club control for a while because he's an RFA at the end of this contract. It, it would make a lot of sense there, and I think that that that's one of those where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's too many things that make sense there. I think if they don't go that route, the I, I think that they take Flurry over Mahura because of that. I don't think Mahura is going to Seattle now as a result of that. I think Flurry blocks that from happening. The other two are Adam Henrique, like you said. My issue there is the contract, and I think that it's not even necessarily that. Seattle wouldn't want him. It's that they understand that the Ducks are trying to get rid of this deal. So if I'm Ron Francis, I'm not going to take him unless I get a side deal done because that contract. So really quick, Jake, you bring up, and I just want to bring this up. You make Mm -hmm. a very good point. Remember the Seattle Kraken are in the Ducks division and there Mm -hmm. is that division situation Mm -hmm. here. So if, if a team is going to be unwilling or hesitant to help out another team, then this is really at play with the Henry contract. Yep. Yep. And so they may not want to take them off their books just to, to do it. And so the ducks, I think would have to do a side deal to make that happen. Obviously we've talked about Henry and how you and I both think he's fine and good. There's obviously issues with that contract, especially I, I think that he is going to fall off somewhat over the next three years. It's just bound to happen with, with what we know about aging curves. But it, I think that, the only way that, that happens is a side deal. The other player that I think that they could take is honestly Kevin Shattenkirk. Kevin Shattenkirk is only at two years left, much more manageable cap hit at 3.9 mil. Shattenkirk, for all the Ducks fans out there that really were frustrated with them this past year, uh, Seattle's run by analytics-friendly people. Um, and Kevin Shattenkirk's underlying metrics basically were really, really good this past year outside of penalty differential. If you ta- if he's able to clean up his penalty uh, penalty issues, he's actually a very big plus player. He has his issues on the power, power play uh, or wasn't the best on the power play for the Ducks, but he's a, a really good defenseman and someone that I think is a good forward-facing role, a good leader. He, like you, everything you said about Adam Henrique, Kevin Shattenkirk could be the first captain of the team. Now, granted, I think Mark Giordano is that, but he's definitely could be a big part of the leadership core uh, moving forward. And so I think that he's probably the most likely to be taken if they want to go the route of more so a player for the now, because I think Shattenkirk's a better player than Flurry. I know maybe that might be controversial to some people, but I, I, I think it's not even really close between the two of them right now. I think Shattenkirk's it's, significantly it, it the better be player. It shouldn't be controversial. It's just a fact. Yeah, and, and so that's kind of why I, I view it like that. And so I think it just depends on which way they want to go. If they want a guy that's going to be under club control, can develop maybe a little bit more, although I think Flurry kind of is what he is at this point in time, or you get the better player. But, I mean, Shattenkirk's 32, so he's going to fall off also. And so neither of them are perfect picks for them, but I, I think that 
either of those options make the most sense as a result of that. Um, I, I think that those are the two most likely options. Basically, I don't, I don't see them going. I know there's push out there that they should take Volkov, that he's a good piece. You and I broke it down at the top. I don't see Seattle taking Volkov. I, I, I view that as almost a 0% chance uh, of him being taken. I I don't think there's enough in his game because again, remember you have to realize that the hockey operations department for Seattle is very, very analytics heavy. And from some of the reporting that we've been seeing out of some of the people who have started to begin covering the Kraken, the hockey operations and analytics team in Seattle has a tremendous amount of power. Think about how much power Eric Tolsky has with Carolina. Mm-hmm. Think of you having an entire team of Eric Tolskys now being able to you know, dictate and make decisions with Seattle. That's essentially yep. what we're looking for here. And if Volkov had some good, efficient underlying numbers and stuff like that, then yeah, maybe that would be the case. But Volkov's underlying numbers are not terrible, but they're just kind of meh. And that's not mm-hmm. something that's really going to fit the Seattle mold. Yep, exactly. And so let's get into the, the side deal because this is honestly the my biggest concern because this is what hurt the Ducks last time. The For anyone out there that doesn't remember, Shea Theodore was not eligible for the expansion draft. He was not eligible. The Ducks made a side deal because they wanted to protect Manson. They wanted to protect Votnin. They they wanted to protect both those guys. So they made a side deal with Seattle or with Vegas for Vegas to take Clayton Stoner, and in return they got uh, Vegas would receive Shea Theodore in addition to that. And so as we saw with most of the 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 Vegas expansion draft, most of the teams that got hurt were the teams that made side deals. It wasn't the teams that just understood they were going to lose a player and that was it. It was the teams that tried to force uh, Vegas into taking a specific player. And honestly, you can at least in some ways, you can start uh, kind of justify it for the Ducks back then. I think in hindsight, it looks god-awful. But in the time, at the period of time, the Ducks had just come off the conference final. They thought they would have another run. So they were doing their best to keep that core together. I think obviously in hindsight, that does not look like a good plan, good idea, good foresight, but at least you could, I guess, make that argument back then. There's no argument to do that now where you need to keep this team together. And so to me, to make a side deal to protect a Hayden Flurry, the the time to protect Hayden Flurry was with doing some cap, doing some maneuvering of your, your ex- protection list. It wasn't necessarily with making these side deals. And so there there was a Frank Cervelli and Jason Greger have the DFO, DFO Rundown podcast. And I listened to at least the Ducks portion of it. And Frank Cervelli said that his protection list that he or the the basically ran through every team, selected a player from each team. Frank Cervelli said he was basically protect, er, uh, selecting the players while talking to NHL executives. So basically he's like, this isn't necessarily what I think is what... I would do this is what I think will happen based upon the conversations I had as I was selecting players for my team and discussing it with these NHL executives probably over text messages so he actually said I believe Frank Saravalli said Derek Grant I think Frank Saravalli said Derek Grant and then Jason Greger on the same show uh right afterwards said Jacob Larson and just Jason Greger's um logic there was that Vegas went out of their way to select a bunch of defensemen. And then, uh, sorry, it was uh, Frank predicted Larson, Jason predicted Grant. But when they were discussing it, they said that Vegas went out of their way to take a lot of defensemen, and then they flipped a bunch of them. To me, that that's not Jacob Larson, and this just really reeks of not understanding 
essentially the the team because Larson has no value. No, the only way that this would make sense, and same thing with Derek Grant, their logic for Derek Grant was that if you look at the centers available, there just aren't that many centers. Same type, but like you said, these this is a very analytics friendly place. Any other NHL executives probably don't have the same views. Um, so to me, I don't think either of those guys are going to be taken unless, and they mentioned this, there could be a side deal in place. So we'll see what happens, but that is absolutely terrifying to me, honestly. It is, and but what I will say, and I, 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 I'm going to try and ease some fears here a little bit, given what we've it. known about like the Eichel trade deal and or like the Eichel talks and a bunch of other stuff. I think there's a point oh 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 one percent chance that Zegras and Drysdale are included in any side deals. I think Murray considers both of them pretty much pretty much untouchable. Um, and so I, I don't think that you're going to see them. So that, if anything, is going to be, I think, a good thing to help ease some fears. That being said, that doesn't mean that there can't be a side deal that really does hurt the Ducks. Um, but I, 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 I don't think that they're going to lose either of their blue chip prospects. All right. Yeah, I, I agree. They're not going to lose either of your, their blue chip prospects, not for this team. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a side deal giving up a pick, giving up a, a Bogru, giving up a Jackson Lacombe, giving up someone like that in that kind of range yeah. of player. And so, I mean, not necessarily those – like this is not on the level of Theodore, and I think that's important to make the, that notion or kind of strike down that notion that kind of I think a lot of Ducks fans are terrified of after, say, Theodore last time. But I, I think that it is it, it is scary, and I think that if you're a Ducks fan, I think that you just hope that Bob Murray learned his lesson and that he understands that at absolute worst, you're losing one player. And that's what we said at the top of the show while we have our issues with the protection list. At the end of the day, the player they're going to lose is not that much different in terms of actual long-term impact uh, between our list and the one the Ducks actually came out with. The more concern that we have with the list is the long-term thinking. But that's kind of a one thing or a whole nother kind of issue there that we already discussed. So let's start jumping into some questions here. So for those of you in the Twitch chat, start throwing your questions in. But I got this one from our good friend Tony who's helped contribute at Crash the Pond with us. He texted me this question that he wanted to answer on the show. He said, what is a bigger win for the Ducks? Seattle takes Adam Henrique and the Ducks uh, have a side deal in place where Seattle also gets Hayden Flurry plus a pick. Or Seattle just takes Larson, Volkov, or Flurry straight up? The straight up, easily. Yeah. I don't know why you would give up assets like that. So, you know, if, if you're giving up both Flurry and a pick to take Henrik, Henrik's yeah. not that. I bad. wouldn't even give up Flurry to just take Henrik. No, no, not at all. Not even a pick. Maybe a, maybe a late round pick, I could understand, but even then. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I, I I don't see a need for a side deal at all for the Ducks. There is there there is no players like again like you said. Yep. There was at least some you know justification for a side deal with Vegas because of some. where the Ducks were at yeah. and, the, and the quality that they had. Um, now there's I can't think of a reason for a side deal. Period. Yeah, I I, I completely completely agree. There, all you're doing is is you're essentially essentially shooting yourself in the foot 
by, by doing that. So let's jump into the questions from, from the Twitch chat. So for those of you watching on YouTube, yes, we, we post the show on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond, where you can watch our beautiful faces as we do this show, watch the recorded version of that, uh, see anything that I throw up on the screen like that war, uh, war chart that I, that I threw up. Um, if you want to like uh, the videos there, subscribe over there, it helps us significantly. Or if you're listening on your favorite podcast services, uh, we do a, a live stream of the show each and every time at twitch.tv slash crash pond. We will be going live every Monday at 8 p.m. moving forward is is the new schedule for the show. So for those of you that like watching us live, tune in then. And uh, you can help support the show uh, with if you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month. You do have to hit that subscribe button after 30 days. And it does help support the show more than you can imagine. So Let's jump into some uh, questions from the Twitch chat. So Zenas8 says, why would a team trade for D'Lo? Do they get a benefit of trading for someone who is protected? So let me just quickly jump in on that second portion. No. So I we haven't actually mentioned this yet. Um, the trade freeze that was enacted or the roster freeze that was enacted on Saturday at noon is currently in effect up until thursday morning i think something around there and basically what that means is that no teams can trade with any other teams besides seattle until thursday and the reason for that is once the protection lists are in place they don't want teams trading guys off their protection list seattle needs a couple days uh and rightfully so after having the protection list on saturday they need a couple days to figure out the exact roster i mean they're essentially building a roster from scratch they need to take days and and if you look at the rules for actually seattle picking the team it's pretty intensive pretty uh, there's a whole lot going on you have to run a lot of scenarios through with cap hits and everything like that so essentially they don't want teams making deals because Seattle needs that time to be able to figure out what they're doing with their roster. So that's why there's a trade freeze right now. And teams can do those side deals, though, with Seattle. Seattle is the only team that they can deal with. And I remember with Vegas, um, it was like put out there that George McPhee was like used that power extremely well that no one else could do deals and basically bartered with teams and, and all this different type of stuff. And so basically yeah, I remember George, George McPhee literally held the entire league hostage for a yeah, few days, which is what they should do. What they should yeah, do. Absolutely. So, he, he so, played that right and Seattle should do the same. Yeah. So that, so there's no, there's nothing for trading him right now. The trade for Nicola Delorier would come after the expansion draft, if it were to come. So why would a team trade for Delorier? I mean, Ryan Reeves was traded for a first. So there's a, it's not even for me, just the grit thing. And the, and the, and I think the grit argument has some weight here to me. The reason why a a team may trade for Nick Delorier is number one, because they think he's better than he is, but why do they think he's better than it is? It's to me, it comes down to ice time. Nick Delorier has gotten, quite a bit of ice time for a fourth liner um especially for a player of somebody who him who gets into a ton of fights and who doesn't score very much but he is a guy that Aikens for god knows what reason has played a lot on the penalty kill hell he's even gotten some power play time like he's gotten time in a lot of situations and luckily we're starting to move past this era in the NHL but there is still a certain level of GMs evaluating how good a skater is based on time uh, time on ice. We've seen a lot of guys get premium assets who aren't very good, 
but who get a lot of time on ice. A perfect example of this recently was Duncan Keith. Duncan Keith got what he got from Edmonton specifically, and Ken Holland went on record saying this, citing his ice time as one of the reasons for that. It's a completely ridiculous argument, especially nowadays, but some GMs do like that. And if there is a GM out there who looks at Nick DeLore, who's seen that he's played in all these situations and that he's gotten a good amount of ice time for the contract that he has and for the type of player that he is, you may have a GM out there who genuinely thinks he's worth giving up a decent asset for. And if you're Bob Murray, I would hope you take advantage of that. Dal- Dal- Dalton Keyes brings up a good team, the Rangers. I would target the Rangers because they yeah. seem like a team that, especially after last see what they're year, doing and, with Barclay Good Good Well, you see the remember the whole Panarin thing and how that's kind yeah. of and the fact that Dolan like that is I could see them actually really targeting. Uh, tar- I mean, you look at the the rumored deal with Buchnevich for uh for Horvat. They're trying to get a tougher team. That might be the team I would target. Um, all right, time Twitch asks a uh, question. Now that Sofa's basically retired. Uh, good, good curmudgeon time. Uh, Enrique is gone. Who's going to score? Uh, score next season. Um, uh, I, I really do think it's going to be the Zamboni driver. <laughs> Zamboni, the, the Zamboni driver is just gonna. He's gonna be in like the middle, and he's gonna accidentally knock a stray puck into the net while he's cleaning up the ice. And the NHL is gonna take pity on the Ducks and give them a goal because they can't score any yeah. other way. No, it will be it will be Zegris. Zegris will do it. We'll, it'll, let's, it'll, put, it'll let's, let's just put it. It will be Zegris and Com- Zegris Comtois-Terry. I think the goal scorer, the, the leading goal scorer next season, will be Comtois. Barring oh wait, barring actually, a deal. sorry. Let yeah, let me let me jump in. It's going to be Jack Eichel. Ooh, all right, all right. Bold take. You thinking it's going to get done? Do you know something, Jake? No, I don't. I'm just <laughs> I, I'm I'm just Team Chaos and wanting to just throw something out there that's just out there so oh, let's do that uh this is a question just for me nj devils fan 68 who always gives me a good wrestling question in the twitch chat and i love him for it uh uh-oh i think the twitch hopefully didn't crash my scroll is not working cj are you there still i am okay so hopefully the twitch chat is still going uh i think maybe not well this may just be an audio format for the rest of this oh okay we're good we're good sorry sorry everyone for that little bit of vamping sorry i think i had a brief freeze on my end um but he said i guess it was my computer not liking the fact that i was going to start talking about uh wrestling but thoughts on omega callahan and so basically kenny omega and uh uh sammy callahan wrestled at impact slam anniversary in a hardcore match and it was epic. It was great. The one-winged angel on the thumbtacks was a great way to finish the match. And, I mean, post-match, King Switch, Switchblade Jay White coming out, confronting Kenny Omega, um, and, and really uh, really giving us the Bullet Club versus the Elite. This is, uh, this is the story everyone's wanted. This is what everyone's wanted ever since uh, AEW has become a thing. And the Bullet Club really felt very kind of de- detached from the elite. And now you're having them come together. Now that the pandemic's kind of ending, Jay White is able to be there, the new leader of the Bullet Club against the old leader of the Bullet Club. It's going to be fantastic. And CJ, I may actually see it because there is a New Japan show going on outside the Coliseum that I have tickets for. And boy, am I excited now for it. Bullet Club is a New Japan thing. There you go. Sorry, did you say something? I just zoned out there for a couple minutes. I mean, I'm used to it. Actually, no, I'm used to Felix like giving me crap about it. 
But or yeah, okay. I'll just so, ignore you. <laughs> ask AAJ32 said, "Do you think it was justifiable to protect Sam Steele? And if he, if so, does he still have time to develop, or is his upside limited?" This is a good question. This is a good question. I have, I I will be real here, and and no no. I feel like saying no disrespect to Sam Steele because I'm gonna I'm about to disrespect him. I've lost. <laughs> you use the use the old uh, Talladega Nights line of when you say no disrespect or with all due respect, that means with you can say whatever respect, you want. I said I said all due respect. Yeah. Um, I like Sam Steele as a kid. I think he's a great leader. I think he's got a great attitude. He's a hard worker. Um, I just uh, I, I do not see him going any more past um a bottom six role at this point yeah, as NHL player. I, th- I think i think he's an nhler um but i i do not see him even being middle six anymore um I, there's part of me that hopes i'm wrong on that and that he still has stuff and he's still fairly young and um uh um you know shutdown lines uh you know course nazar's tracking data has shown that steel uh, is one of the ducks leaders in terms of um carry-ins clean carry-ins which is an essential skill however the caveat to that is that he did not track many ducks games it's a very small sample size so how much stock can we put into that i'm not entirely sure and if you look at the rest of steel's underlying numbers they just have not been good for a long time so there's definitely a lot of um questions surrounding that um but I think just at this point, um, I will I will be surprised if Steele is anything more than a bottom six kind of role player at this point. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. He's 23, and, and while, well, yes, that does sound young, what we've seen is 23, 24 is when guys start entering their scoring prime. And so kind of we just haven't seen that from him. And now, granted, it, it's not a catch-all thing with aging curves. It, it depends on person to person. There are guys that buck the trend, but it, it is a good rule of thumb to have. And so to me, I, I think Sam Steele kind of is what he is at this point in time. He's a fourth line center, third line center. And, and I think that maybe there is a little bit of development left, but the upside is definitely limited. And so that's why, honestly, I wouldn't, why I even said, I wouldn't have cared if I exposed him. I would have been fine exposing him in the expansion draft. Um, DB Lowry 3507 said, what scares you more expansion draft side deals, overpaying in free agency, overpaying for Eichel, reaching on the number three overall draft pick? I know what my answer is. I mean, it's... For me, it's it's going to be... Given what's going on over here, I I actually believe it's going to be reaching on the number three overall draft pick. Um, I would I would say the side deals, but I'm just trying to think here outside of Zegers and Drysdale, which I, you know we've already established is probably not going to happen because Bob Murray considers them virtually untouchable. To me, you know, making the wrong draft selection, especially a first round, a high first round. That's a good point. Like a a point. top five pick. Well, what are, well, well, most, what oh, are we oh, considering on, a reach? What are we considering a reach? Name a player. Because I think that's I'm, important. Uh, Is it someone outside for, of the, the core group of players that we've identified for that spot? Yeah, yeah. Basically okay. anybody outside. I would say anybody who is not projected to go in the top 10 by most expansion. Then yeah, I, yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that going that route, because to me, making 
whiffing on your first your your top five pick is one of the most disastrous things you can do as a franchise and will set your franchise back you know potentially multiple seasons um and and i i don't really necessarily believe that the ducks are going to do that like i said the the ducks i believe are a solid drafting team um you know I, we've talked at length how you know you know they they may not have as good of a record as they have lately but obviously their last two top 10 picks at least so far have been fantastic picks um and so i I, i'm not particularly worried about that but of those situations reaching and missing on a top five draft pick is is going to be one of the most disastrous things that i think you can do yeah so i i think if we are establishing that that's what reaching means then yes i would agree if reaching on the number three pick means, I don't know, taking Simone Edvinson, someone that I'm not that high on that others that are. That would be a big, yeah. So if, but I'm just going to say, so yes, you are right if that's the case. But if it's more so kind of in that range, then I would say it's probably overpaying in free agency. Because overpaying yeah, in free especially agency. Especially given where the Ducks are right now. Because they shouldn't be spending much on free agency at all. And it really limits your cap flexibility, which, as we talked about, is hugely important. So, uh, mm-hmm. and, and here's my issue with free agency. Signing a guy in free agency, you're getting a 27, 28, 29-year-old, and you're going to have to sign him for, if you're overpaying, probably a six, seven-year deal. That's not going to age too well. As we were talking about with, look at, look at the Adam Henrique deal. All right, so... Uh, let's go to this question from Dalton Key. He said, should the Ducks try to take advantage of the Lightning's cap situation with all of Kalorn plot, Gordon Johnson potentially on the trade block? I, I have a quick uh, answer for this. No. Yeah, no, absolutely. None of those. They're, none of those they're all 29 to 30. No. The, the, all these guys are perfect championship contender moves. If you are in the playoff hunt, if you are a, a great team, if this were the 2016 Ducks, you know, absolutely, you go for one of those guys. You do that. Where the Ducks are right now makes absolutely no sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, I think that is probably going to do it for us tonight, though. Oh, sorry. We had one more question. This is the important one to end on. Hardcore Luchador says, have we du- discussed CJ's wife beater yet? So your, your tank top. People I mean, want it's to know. Not a wife beater. It's just a tank top. It's that's just a tank. A it's just a... on me because that quarantine bod, yo. See, I went the opposite way with the quarantine bod. Yeah, I know. You, you, you and I had to offset each other. We all, uh, we all hate you for it. I yeah, on your extra weight. You're welcome. Yeah, there we go. Uh, real quick, let, let's end with this kind of cool story, and it's brought up by Defend the Nest. Says, when do you see the Ducks having their own pro cop story? So today uh i'm spacing actually what is his first name again i am spacing on it very hard right now and i apologize I'm for as well. That. Yeah. well uh i will look that up very quickly for all of you so that we are not missing out but he came out as the first openly gay player uh that is drafted in the nhl luke 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 pro cop yeah. there we go uh and so really cool story really really brave of him to come out and do that and hopefully this opens the door for more people to feel comfortable. And I think at the end of the day, that that's important. Feel comfortable and be yourself because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Be yourself, be who you are. And you will be like, everyone should accept you for it and should accept you for wanting to be yourself. 
And if that's how you are, that's how they all should accept you. And hopefully this opens the door in a sport that can sometimes uh, have issues with toxic masculinity and hopefully open the door for understanding that. And you can play has done an awesome job over the past couple of years. And I think that Luke is just going to uh, really do wonders for that and hopefully give kids that, that are scared in, in this kind of weird league, weird sport that can have issues and really make them feel comfortable and have someone to really follow in the footsteps of and really encourage them to do that also. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we actually do know that there have been several NHL players who were who are gay, who have played in the league, just not openly. We have heard from um, veterans uh, here and there over the past few years that there have been guys who have played in the NHL who were out, um, uh, who had come out with their sexuality in the locker room, just not publicly. Um, and you would expect that too, based on, you know, statistics and, 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 and kind of the way things go, this happens. And I can guarantee you there are gay players playing in the league right now. Yes, yes. Um, they, they just, you know, for their own personal reasons, don't feel comfortable coming out so which um, is their choice also we should mention that that is their choice completely their choice it is a very personal thing um but i really commend luke for coming out with this he had an absolutely beautiful statement if you can go online read it it was just the perfect coming out statement um of support he's gotten so much support around the league um from all these teams players um execs uh um burke was uh um uh, brian burke was all about that and obviously brian burke has been a huge lgbtq plus ally um for years due to his um son who tragically passed away a few years ago um being gay and um, you know, I, I really do hope um, that this is kind of a turning point for more people, more hockey players to come out as gay and live as their authentic life. If they so choose to, obviously no pressure, but I hope this does serve it as an inspiration because so, we need more representation and, we, and I would love more and- of uh, those players living their, their truth. And that's one thing I want to say here. There are going to be people out there and it's happened and it is what it is. But for anyone out there that maybe don't doesn't understand and hopefully this this can help you understand um, maybe thinks like keep this out of sports, different things like that, stick to sports, whatever. Representation is very important. And being able to see yourself out there and be able to feel yourself. And it's hard for me to fully go into that with, with being, I mean, just being transparent. I'm a white male. It's there. There's a lot of that for me, but to have that and, and be able to have that out there is very important so that you can go out and do it. So you can see that not just because I'm like this meat doesn't mean I'm different. It means that I'm me and I'm able to go and do it and be myself while I'm doing it. And representation is so important. And that's why this is an important story because there are kids out there that will see this and understand that it's okay for me to be who I am. And that's what's important here. I can't tell you, I've talked to a lot, uh, uh, quite a, a lot of, of, of gay people in the past who have told me that they played sports in the past and they dropped it and they stopped it because of fear, because of homophobia, because of being bullied, because of all this stuff. This happens a lot more so than you would probably think, especially if you are not within that community, this happens so much. And so seeing somebody come out like this and having that representation, you know, lets you know that, look, I I think this is going to be okay. Um, And so, uh, you know, the, tremendously brave from Luke and uh, we, you know, really hoping that these good things and and change much needed change in the league comes from it. Yep, definitely. Okay. So let's end on that. So 
So those of you that have enjoyed the show, there's a couple different ways that you can support us. The one that's the simplest for you is to leave an Apple podcast review. We are now actually at ratings wise. We've now jumped up to 207. We were really pushing to break the 200, I think a month ago. And now you all have helped out so much by jumping over 200. I don't believe uh, we have gotten a new review in there. You know, I'm just going to read the last one because I can't remember if I've read it or not. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it. So my favorite five stars from Blake T32. I listen weekly while at work and it's a great show to keep up with Ducks news and corresponding analysis. The boys always have some good takes with fleshed out points of view. The show makes it easy for me to keep up with any Ducks news I may have missed out missed uh, or discussion topics I am excited about, especially Felix's bad food takes. Love you all. Thanks for putting these shows out. So thank you so much, Blake. And you can be like him. We'll read it on the show if you want to help support the show. This helps out a lot and it's completely free to you. It, it puts us higher up on the charts, puts us more visible for anyone searching for the Anaheim Ducks. It really helps out a lot. Odog81, by the way, just subscribe. That's another way you can support us. Ken Pafu resubbed for 23 months. Uh, Odog was for four months in a row. So thank you so much uh, for doing that. That's also, like we said, I said earlier, a way you can support us. Another way you can support us is with our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash crash the pond uh, for the dollar tier. Uh, so for $1 a month, you get access to the Patreon exclusive discord, which is essentially the best place in my opinion to talk ducks hockey. I don't think there's a better place. You lose essentially all the toxicity and the trolling that you have on Twitter. And it's, uh, it's definitely a really fun place, a really good community. And I have to say, I'm so proud that this is kind of what this discord has become in this community that we have there. And it's so I much love fun. this discord. I've been trying to, I've been trying to, uh, you know, um, uh, participate quite a bit more and i i just i rarely ever have a bad interaction on there the the community that has joined this 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 discord is wonderful by the way i guess i may have forgotten to say go to apple Podcasts to leave the rating or review but yeah so the discord's so much fun um so that's what you get with a dollar a month at five dollars a month you get that you get all the previous benefits and you also get uh you also get uh access to the twice monthly uh, so you get two, uh, two a month of the Patreon exclusive podcast. So we will do two exclusive podcasts. They're usually kind of covering uh, whatever you want us to cover, more na- league-wide stuff. And so this month actually is kind of going to be a bit of a blitz of a one. We actually recorded, what was that, last Friday, last Thursday, something like that, yeah. the, the mock draft, which was fun. We went through and we did a mock draft with me, CJ, and Felix of every single team in the first round with doing rotation. So if you want to hear some more, hold us, uh, hold a gun to our head uh, as we get things wrong as the mock draft goes on or as the NHL draft goes on, you can go ahead and do that. And then we're actually going to record one tomorrow. And tomorrow's is going to be interesting. We are putting ourselves in the shoes of Ron Francis and collectively mock drafting the Seattle expansion team. And it's going to be a blast. It's going to be fun. I am so excited for it. And so that's at the $5 tier. At the $15 tier, you get two watch-alongs a month. We are going to do a Patreon-exclusive watch-along on Wednesday for the expansion draft. So if you are subscribed to the watch-along tier, you will get that in addition to all the previous stuff. And we'll figure out the second watch-along for next week also at some point. And so I think that's really it. You can go to CrashThePond.com. You can find me on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. You can find CJ on Twitter at CJ Woodling. Or is it underscore? No, just CJ Woodling. Uh, at you CJ Woodling. Ah, uh, crap! Your, my bad. Disappointed hey, in, in you. In my defense, in my defense, CJ, you didn't get into this chat until like seven fifty-eight, so it didn't remind me to change it. Hey, hey, hey! It was seven fifty-six. Okay, but still, not enough time for me to remember. Four you know, whole 
minutes you know i've thrown it back at you because that's what i have to do here you know um so find, find cj at cj Wildling. my apologies for not having his twitter handle on the screen that's my bad um find us at crash the pond oh you can also get uh shirts at go to shop uh crash slash shirts really cool shirts go check it out slash so slash shop did i say slash shirts slash shirts oh whoops that's yeah, always sla- though we're the shirt emporium yeah exactly slash shop sorry about that so I think with all that, anything else you want to add? That's all it. Right. Thanks for joining, everybody. So for our Patreons, you will be hearing from us a lot this week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.